Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Peltier. And I'm Ben Che. In today's show, dance is always on at least one level about the human body, and the Wisepace Dance Group has created a whole series about the body. Later on, we'll be looking at their performance, Body Battlefield. And we have in our studio a violinist who, although only 25, has played at the last night of the proms in Britain, had an album in both the classical and pop music charts, and this week is performing Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto with the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. She's Scottish-Italian violinist Nicola Benedetti. Before all that, though, we're going far back in time to some of the earliest art created by human beings. More specifically, we're going back to ancient Mesopotamia, an area that includes modern Iraq, northeast Syria, and southeast Turkey. An exhibition at the Hong Kong Museum of History showcases more than 170 artifacts from the British Museum and explores ancient Mesopotamian history from 3,500 BC to 539 BC. Thousands of years ago, in Mesopotamia, there was already a civilization, by which I mean there, were, um, there was job specialization, people were living together in huge cities. They needed administrative, legal, religious, political, and military organization. The name Mesopotamia comes from the Greek term meaning land between the rivers. Lying between the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, in ancient times it was known as the Fertile Crescent. It was the area in which civilization first sprang up in the West. The exhibition, The Wonders of Ancient Mesopotamia, focuses on the three dominant cities in the region in 3000 BC, Sumeria, Assyria, and Babylon. It also traces their influence not only in the Middle East, but worldwide. And from the very earliest beginnings of this civilization in Sumer, in southern Iraq today, for administrative reasons, they invented writing. Now this writing, called cuneiform, because it's made up of signs which are pressed into clay with a reed, so the signs are wedge-shaped. Cuneus in Latin is wedge. This writing is the oldest known writing script, and therefore, Mesopotamian civilization is at the very start of recorded history. And as well as this written script, which um, was used eventually all over the ancient Middle East for different ancient languages. The development of cuneiform writing paved the way for other knowledge. Mesopotamia pioneered in science, astrology, mathematics and religion. Other things based on mathematics and astronomy, such as the reason why we divide time into 60 seconds, minutes, 360 degrees in a circle, can be shown now to have been passed from Mesopotamia through the Greeks to us today. Mesopotamian religion is the first to be recorded. The Assyrian, Sumerian and Babylonian rulers built pyramid-like ziggurats, or temples, to house sculptures of their gods and goddesses. The Mesopotamians believed that the, that the gods created man to serve them on earth, and, and everything in the world, in the universe, was a result of something that god or goddess 
uh, was responsible for. And that man needed to, to keep them happy. The kings in particular, one of the most important roles of a king was to build temples to the gods and to show the gods that they were a just and good king and that they would protect their people. Still other supernatural figures were carved in the palaces, such as eagle-headed spirits, protective spirits and sacred trees. Hunting is another theme. The exhibition features one panel from a series in which a Syrian king, Ashurnasirpal, hunts a ball. The palaces also contained images of lion hunts, which have very specific royal and mythical associations. They were always very concerned from very early times to protect their animals from ferocious beasts. And the most ferocious animal roaming in the region at that time was the lion. So from very early times, kings um, were shown killing lions and, and other uh, protective gods and goddesses and mythical beasts were also shown fighting lions. By the time of the Assyrian kings in the 9th to the 7th centuries BC, lion hunting was specifically only allowed by the king. The Babylonian period has been described as the height of Mesopotamian civilization. The name Babylon is the Greek version of the Akkadian Babylu, a term sometimes understood by Mesopotamians to mean gate of the gods. The Babylonian Empire wasn't just a political, cultural and religious phenomenon, it also created the earliest extant legal document, which remains an important historical reference. King Hammurabi, who was the first king who ruled from 1792 to 1750 BC in Babylon, he is most known for his famous law code. And this law code is a huge monument that is in the Louvre in Paris. And it lists uh, hundreds of laws and rules for all aspects of life. A lot of the laws were based on the concept of an eye for an eye. Babylon has been a continual source of inspiration for art, literature, music and film. Stories such as the fall of Babylon were rooted in historical reality and echoes of the empire turn up in the Christian Bible. By 539 BC, the Babylon city-state was the storehouse of the accumulated literary and scientific learning of Mesopotamia. In 331 BC, Alexander the Great conquered it, but he respected and preserved the knowledge. That knowledge was translated into Arabic and Sanskrit, spread to China and Western Europe, and forms the bedrock of much of contemporary civilization. At the Cat Street Gallery until the 17th of February, you can see an exhibition of work by Australian artist Anthony White, who was born in Sydney in 1976, but now lives and works in Paris. He's an abstract painter, but he says his works are very much inspired by the landscape and the urban environment. They not only contain hints of landscapes, but focus strongly on the simple joy and process of applying paint to canvas. in 
know, from looking at many different sources in the gathering the references. Basically an exploration of the way that, what you can do with paint, the mechanics of paint, painting a sculpture, painting its object, the way that you can build something and have something have a presence, that's what I'm exploring through abstraction. What these paintings are totally about is improvisation. Improvisation is key to the creative practice. I think that the audience brings their own things to the painting. You can't help that. People will always interpret one million different ways. I just doing what I love to do and that's to develop something rich. We'll be back after the break. See you then. Welcome back. For several years now, the local dance group Y-Space has been presenting a series of dances under the title The Body ID Space. Previous performances in the series were held in Beijing, Shenzhen and Hong Kong. Last weekend, the fifth episode, Body ID Space 5, Body Battlefield, was staged at a place that once specialized in the body, the Hong Kong Museum of Medical Sciences. Gao 咁呢個身體都會跟住我哋。Held at the Hong Kong Museum of Medical Sciences from February the 1st to the 3rd, the dance performance Body Battlefield is the fifth episode of Y-Space ID Space series. Founded in 1995 by Victor Ma and Mandy Yim, Y-Space aims to explore various aspects of body, space and identity. This performance didn't take place in a traditional theatre space, but in one of Hong Kong's landmark heritage buildings. Catch 
Edwardian-styled building, the Hong Kong Museum of Medical Sciences, was formerly a bacteriological institute. It was established in 1906 at Kane Lane, near the Taiping Shan area, at which a plague outbreak had occurred in 1894. It was the first laboratory of bacteriology in Hong Kong. Its two-story red brick main building has expensive balconies and well-placed windows to suit the tropical conditions of the territory. It became a declared monument in 1990. Five years later, it was handed over to the Hong Kong Museum of Medical Sciences Society and converted into a museum. The building's historical background has been integrated into the wide space dance. It's not just the dance movements that were designed to relate to the environment. The costumes also related to the building's history. Gumlanga Part Last year, our next guest not only played at the last night of the proms, she was also crowned best female artist at the Classic Brit Awards. She's been playing the violin since she was four, was practicing for up to three hours a day by the time she was eight, and at 16, after studying at the Yehudi Menuhin School, was chosen as the BBC's Young Musician of the Year. Her album, The Silver Violin, not only topped the classical charts, but also made it into the top 30 pop album rankings. She's also been awarded just the MBE for services to music and charity, and she's only 25 years old. She's Nicola Benedetti, and she's performing with the Hong Kong Philharmonic this weekend right now in the studio with us. Welcome. Thank you. So you're here to perform with the Hong Kong Philharmonic, the yes. Tchaikovsky Concerto. Mm. Is this the first time you've worked with conductor and music director Jan van Sweden? Uh, no, this will be the second time. I worked with him first in, uh, in Dallas with his orchestra there, his wonderful orchestra there, who um, I just played with again a couple of weeks ago. Um, he is, wow, I mean, he's just really one of the, the best conductors out there. It's a real privilege to work with him. And uh, the Tchaikovsky Concerto, something that's been recorded by everyone, all the great masters of the instrument, um, what, what is it that 
you bring to the Tchaikovsky and how do you approach doing something that's been done by so many people? I'm probably the last person to ask <laughs> what I bring to the concerto. Um, I think I think there has to be a, like a basic understanding that everyone's personalities are so different and providing you are um, not trying to emulate anyone but being as, as genuine as possible through your playing, it's yourself and your personality that's going to, to shine through. So I never make a very conscious effort to be different, to interpret something unlike others. It's just a case of playing the music as I feel best. You're bringing the music for the violin and the instrument itself to a much wider audience than perhaps would normally be aware of, of that repertoire. Um, is that something that you've consciously decided to do? Consciously decided, but I'm incapable of not trying to do. Um, I mean, it just, I sort of liken it to something you love so much, you just are desperate to share with everyone, like a really good plate of pasta or something. You want people to try it. Um, I mean, I. I, it's just how I've always felt. Um, it's no, um, it, it's not, it's not really something that's very calculated for me. It's just a, a, a natural part of of what I, I do. And um, I, I mean, I, I think that providing you're not changing the core of classical music, providing you're you're not trying so hard to make it popular that you're making it something it isn't, um, then then we should we should be be going for it and shouting the message of classical music. After all, I think people need. Uh, more than ever, an art form that is as as um, as rich as that. Your latest CD, a recording project, The Silver Violin. Uh, do you think we could persuade you to play something off of it? Absolutely, yes. What would you like to do for us? Um, the well, the first track on the CD is um, by John Williams, probably one of the most famous um, film composers today, and one of the most wonderful. Um, and he wrote uh, a beautiful violin melody, the Schindler's List theme. Nicola Benedetti, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.